for us. I know many of you pray for us on a regular basis, and I cannot thank you enough for that. Uh, Pray that God would continue to work in our lives and draw us close to himself and encourage us in the work and guide us and give us wisdom. And we just are so grateful for that. I know many of you were praying for us last year as we held different tent crusades around the country. And we had a Victory Gospel Crusade in Ohio. I was telling some of those that were in Sunday school about that. And uh, what a blessing that was. A three-week meeting turned into a six-week meeting right in the middle of COVID. And how that is possible, only the Lord can explain. And only the Lord gets credit. I know it seems a little bit impossible to those of you living here in the Northern Virginia metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. But it, it is absolutely a fact. And the Lord did amazing works. People that were saved got baptized. There was a man that came during our Ohio crusade. And uh, he came, is the first time he'd ever walked inside the doors of a church. Now, Brother Paul Crow, who has been here recently, I think, he uh, he was preaching that night. And uh, somebody somebody brought this young man. I was so glad that he came. He, he had two boys. One of them's name was Johnny and the other one was Cash. And uh, he came... <laughs> And uh, he came that night, and uh, first time he'd ever been inside the doors of a church, 30-some-year-old man, and he got saved. He came weeping to Jesus, and he got saved, and he came back, and he continued to come back. And then, uh, then he uh, brought a whole pack of beer, about a 12-pack, on, on the fifth Sunday night, and he brought it and just said, I need to get rid of this. I don't want this anymore. Well, that's good. God's reviving when that's happening. Uh, Maybe some of you have a 12-pack you need to get rid of. Well, it'd be a good day to get rid of it right today. Just bring it right here. You bring it to the altar. You don't even have to bring it in front of everybody. Just bring it, and we know what to do with it. We'll pour it wherever bit of beer belongs, right down the toilet. And uh, and, uh, so praise God for that. Praise God for what he did and the way that he worked that way. And uh, we thank the Lord for the miracles that he performed. In Iowa, the Lord did some amazing miracles, and I just praise him and thank him for his goodness in that regard. Uh, there was some family that was part of an Amish family that got saved, and uh, we just praise the Lord. That's not, that's not a small thing. And uh, then when we moved up from uh, one part of Iowa, Wayne County, up to Russell, Iowa, uh, the county to the north, we were able to meet Susanna and her family, and that, that was just all of the Lord, the way that worked out. And we just praise Him for the good work that He's been doing. And then we went to California. I told the morning service this. We were in California in the Sacramento area three weeks before the election. And uh, we, we thought we were going to have to sneak across the border in the dark of night. <laughs> but we made it, and we got the permits necessary and the money that was needed. Uh, the Lord provided, and provided it in a big way, and we praise God. And I'm so thankful for the freedom-loving people that are in, in, uh, in California and the good Christians that are there. You want to talk about a Christian that loves God and loves America, you meet a Romanian Christian that's come out of persecution. And they'll tell you straight up, all these regulations that were put on our country over this last year were absolutely against the Constitution, absolutely against the Word of God, and absolutely against good sense. And uh, thank God for, for the good, freedom-loving people. I mean, we're talking about people that have fled communism and have stared communism and socialism in the face. And they'll tell you, 
what we've seen is communism, nothing but communism. And uh, we need to stand, withstand this kind of thing in our country in every way that we can. So I just thank the Lord for what he did. There were people saved in California. It was amazing how the Lord worked and Christians were encouraged. And, and I'm just thankful. And I know much of that is because of you all prayed. Uh, when we went to California, we were able to pull our new fifth wheel. And that's what we have parked out here. And this is the first time we parked here in several years. But uh, you, many of you all gave. And I thank you for the gift that you gave to help us get the, the, the place that we stay in. And we think about that on a regular basis. And we praise God for him being Jehovah Jireh and providing through God's people. First Samuel chapter 14 is where we're at. In Sunday school, we began to talk about something very important on this Memorial Day. Now, I mentioned in Sunday school, I want to mention again, the great general of our country, George Patton, said about those who had fallen in battle, it would be foolish and wrong for us to grieve their death. He said what we should do and what is right is to thank God that they lived. And I think that's true. And I think when a memorial is given, that's the idea behind a memorial. It is to remember the good individual that they were, to remember the sacrifice that they made, to remember their character and to repeat it. And so when we started in Sunday school, we began talking about this soldier, Jonathan. I'm speaking on the subject, both in Sunday school and in this service, on the subject to remember a soldier, to remember a soldier. And David, Jonathan's close friend, and now the king of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 1, said, how are the mighty fallen? He said, Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. He said, the love of Jonathan was to me great. It surpassed the love of women. In other words, they had a bond, a solid, uh, 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 they had a solidarity. They had a, a solidness in their friendship that was unique and special. And when David remembered the soldiering and the character of Jonathan, he was memorializing Jonathan. And we can learn some great lessons. Now, in the first, first part of this, in Sunday school, we recalled the fact that Jonathan was of a royal line, but he didn't let it go to his head. He was of a royal line, but he didn't let it go to his head. Uh, you said, preacher, how does that affect me? Well, if you're saved, you're of a royal line. The Bible says that we are kings and priests. And the scripture tells us that we are kings. He's made us kings and priests. But that shouldn't be something that fills our head with pride. It should fill our heart with gratitude. And we should keep everything in check. He was of a royal line, but he didn't let it go to his head. Number two, the scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 13 that he was a leader amongst men. Jonathan was was given the task of leading a thousand men. Now that's not a small task. Uh, that would be a, a, a maybe a company. I'm not sure exactly the, the 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 platoon size and the company size. Some of you soldiers or, or Marines could school me on that. But that's that's a man's man, a leader amongst men. We talked about how that some men are more prone towards leadership positions. Other men have to work on those leadership qualities. But all of us should strive to be the best we can be and max out the potential that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And be a leader. You're to be a leader at home, sir. You're to be a leader in your work. You're to be a leader amongst your children. You're to be a leader in the church. And a godly leader is not so concerned about his position or how many people he's leading. He's concerned about his own character and being an example, that kind that should be followed. The scripture tells us about Jonathan in 1 Samuel 13 that he was not only a leader amongst men of a royal line, but he didn't let it go to his head, but he was victorious. The scripture says that they won in battle against the enemy. And then in 1 Samuel 13, we learn that in the early stages of Saul's leadership, while Jonathan was his son, the scripture says that there was no smith in the land. And let me just pause and say what a tragedy that is. Uh, There was no smith in the land. We're talking about the blacksmith. So there was nobody to make swords. The Philistines had come in and ravaged Israel and and they had had made sure that there was no one that could work in that trade. You don't just become a smith over Overnight, it takes a great deal of, of of work and hard labor and ability and talent and a whole lot of other things to be a smith. But anyway, I digress. Uh, it, it takes a while to learn the trade of being a blacksmith. And, and so they didn't have one. So what did he do? He said, sharpen your plows, sharpen your coulters, sharpen your mattocks, sharpen your, your pitchforks. In other words, Jonathan and Saul were leading those that were following them to sharpen what they had, to do the best with what they had. Now, it'd be easy for anybody here at this church or any soldier to say, well, I'm not like that soldier. Well, I don't have the ability of that soldier. Well, I don't have the weapons of that soldier. But a good soldier doesn't do that. A good soldier does the best he has with what what he has, with what's given to him. They didn't have the fancy weaponry of the Philistines. They didn't have the technology of the enemy. They didn't have the advantage. All they had were a bunch of plow instruments and a bunch of farm instruments. But they sharpened them. So sharpen who you are and sharpen what you have and prepare for war. Why should they sharpen their farm instruments? Because that was all they had. Why should they sharpen their farm instruments? Because they were going to war against an enemy. And I want to say, if you're here today and you're saved, you have an enemy. And it's the world and the flesh and the devil. And you need to sharpen yourself and sharpen your prayer life and sharpen your Bible reading and sharpen your walk with God and sharpen your devotion to the Lord and sharpen your worship and love life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's what will help you against the enemy. Uh, Don't sit around and sulk. Don't look at the other guy and say, well, he's got more advanced weaponry. Uh, I wish I had what they had. If only I had that weaponry, then I could really win. No, no, winning isn't determined by your weapons. Winning is determined by your character. And the scripture tells us that that, that Jonathan was a winner. Jonathan uh, encouraged those around him to sharpen themselves. And now we look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. I want to look at a few passages more about Jonathan this morning as we remember a soldier but I want to come back to 1 Samuel 14. So let's do that quickly. In 1 Samuel 14, he is at a disadvantage. We'll look more specifically at this battle, but notice what the scripture says in 1 Samuel 14 and verse number 2. It says, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. So watch, Saul is over here in the shade of a pomegranate tree, in the nourishment of a pomegranate tree, with 600 men around him, while Jonathan sees an opportunity to take advantage against the enemy, to take the battle to the enemy. 
Notice verse number three. And Abiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, the name of the other, Sina. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Now watch, I want you to see some qualities about him. We're going to look at this passage, a few others, and then we're going to come back to this passage and finish up. I want you to notice that along with these other qualities we've mentioned, Jonathan was willing to take a risk because he had the Lord on his side. Let me say that again. Jonathan was willing to take a risk, not because he was foolhardy, not because he had a, 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 a deck stacked in his favor, not because he somehow knew something that the enemy didn't, but because the Lord was on his side. He said, let's go over. There's a sharp rock over here and a sharp rock there, and we're in a position where we're in a position of weakness, but let's go over and show ourselves to these Philistines, and if they say, come up and fight us, we'll know the Lord's on our side. You see, he was willing to take a risk because he knew the Lord was on his side. Let me say, ladies and gentlemen, now more than ever, we need some Christians who are willing to, by faith, take a risk because the Lord is on our side. Uh, I'm amazed at how many have cowered in fear over the last 14 months instead of saying, by God's grace, we're going to step out by faith. Now, it takes faith to step out in the midst of crazy times. It takes faith to step out by, to, to step up forward for the Lord. It takes faith to go and enjoin the enemy and take the battle to them. But that's what he's doing. Notice, he was a man who was willing to take a risk because the Lord was on his side. Uh, and the scripture says that the battle went very well. Now I want you to take your Bible, if you will, and turn to 1 Samuel 18. Again, we're going to come back to 1 Samuel 14 and wrap it all together. Uh, 1 Samuel 18. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let, Saul took David that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Now this is a, a deep abiding covenant. This isn't just a promise. This isn't just I will if you will. This is a covenant. Uh, someone have referred to this as a blood covenant. The kind that we think of when we think of Indians who would cut a little part in their, their wrist and put their wrist together and mix the blood and say, we're blood brothers or a blood covenant. This is something that was far deeper. It was far greater than just a promise. It was a covenant between the two. It says, Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to a David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Wow. All right, watch this. Jonathan, we're trying to figure out what this soldier was like. Look here, when we lay the wreaths tomorrow and when we point and, and, and pitch the flags tomorrow and when we salute those who have died and gone on before in battle and, and who we refer to as some gave, all gave some and some gave all. These are the 
all, some gave all category tomorrow. When we do that this weekend and we thank the Lord for those who have gone before us and who have sacrificed ultimately their lives and who have sacrificed so much, we're not just trying to lay a wreath. We're not just going through a ceremony. We're not just saluting a soldier. Watch. We're trying to remember their character. And Jonathan's character was that he was a, a man of royal blood, but he didn't let it go to his head. He was a man of leadership and he was constantly seeking to be a better leader. He was a man of victory, not looking to lose, not looking to be mediocre, but to win. He was a man who encouraged those around him to sharpen themselves and do the best they had with what they had. And then he was a man who was willing to take risk. And what do we see about Jonathan here in 1 Samuel chapter 18? Watch this. He was a man of deep love. He was a man of deep love. Not shallow love, deep love. Now, I'll tell you honestly, I think we're afraid of the words, I love you. I think we're afraid to say to another brother or sister, I love you. We'll say something like, I love you in the Lord. Well, I'm not even sure what that means. And I'm not trying to make fun of you if you say that. But I think we say that because we're afraid to say I love you. We're afraid to say I love you because we've been hurt. We've said I love you before and we've been hurt by those that we've expressed our love to. We're afraid to say I love you because we're afraid somebody might take it wrong. But you know, Jonathan, and you'll find this true of any of the great characters in the Bible, they were men and women of deep love. Mary Magdalene had a deep love for Jesus. She knew what it was to be bound by devils. And she had met Jesus who cast those demons aside and she expressed her love to Jesus on many occasions. Mary, Mary of Mary and Martha fame had a deep love for Jesus. She saved up a pound of, of spikenard ointment that was valued at about thirty to $40,000 in our modern day. As a, a lower middle class's Full full salary for a man. And she saved that up either because she was wealthy and had the money or she saved it up just because she worked hard. And she took that box of ointment and broke the box. She didn't pour it hoping to reserve some for herself. She broke the box on Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. She was a woman of great love. John the Apostle was a woman, was a man of great love. John the Apostle referred to Jesus as, in Jesus' relationship to him, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John the Apostle wrote much about love in both the book of John and the book of 1 John. Uh, we're afraid. I don't know why we're afraid to love. Maybe we're afraid to love because we've been hurt in our family relationships where love ought to flourish. By the way, in your home, I hope that you express love to each other. I hope that you as a teenager, teenagers, look at me. I hope you're not afraid to say to your mom and dad, I love you. Now, I know when they go to hugging and kissing you, that's another story. But I hope that you're not afraid to express your love to your mom and dad and tell them that you love them and tell your family members that you love them. And let me say in this thing of the Christian life, I'm not saying we should be cheap with the word. I'm not saying we should be shallow with the word. But we shouldn't be afraid to say to a brother or sister, I love you. And I'm praying for you. And I care about you. We should not be afraid of this thing of love. Just because we've been hurt 
just because there's been a, a, a misuse of love, just because we've been hurt by our own hatred uh, or others' hatred, doesn't mean we should discard love. And, and the Bible says, he that loveth knoweth God. That's a characteristic. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And by the way, love isn't just something we express. Love is something that we show. Let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so here Jonathan was a man of deep love. The scripture says that he loved, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. In fact, David referred to his love as surpassing that of women. Notice what the scripture says in verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. What is this? This is Jonathan willing to make a covenant willing to bind himself, willing to put himself in a lower position than David. Do you know what he's doing in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number 4? Watch this. He is saying, I'm in line to be king, but I'm not going to be king. You're going to be king. I'm willing to take my own robe off and lay it down at your feet. I'm willing to take my own girdle off and lay it down at your feet. I'm willing to take my sword off and lay it down at your feet. I'm not going to be king. Wow. He's willing to take the lower position? What a man! We're remembering a soldier. What a man! He was not just of royal line and didn't let it go to his head. He was not just a leader amongst men. He led a thousand. He was not just a man who was victorious in battle. He was not just a man that encouraged others around him to sharpen themselves. He was not just a man who was willing to take risk. He he was not just a man of deep love. He was a man of a strong covenant and he knew when it was time for him to take a lower place. Wow! This is amazing. Look at 1 Samuel 19, just a chapter to your right. 1 Samuel chapter 19, we're trying to glean, we're trying to gather, we're trying to garner the lessons that we can from this soldier who has now fallen in battle, who no doubt was buried uh, in, in honor, who, who no doubt was held in high esteem for years, who no doubt David pointed to as a soldier whose character should be emulated. 1 Samuel 19 and verse 1, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son, and to all his servants, and to all his servants, notice 1 Samuel 19.1, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king uh, sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood, to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swear as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past. Are you ready? What a great character. He's a man of great character. Why? Are you ready? Because he was an advocate. Now I've found there's two kinds of people in this world. Those that are accusers and those that are advocates. Are you willing to be an advocate? Maybe for someone who didn't get it right the first time. 
Maybe for someone who messed up. Is there anybody here in this room besides me who's messed up? I'm glad that David was, was, uh, uh, that Jonathan was willing to be an advocate for David. Uh, there are two kinds of people. Those that are advocates. They're willing to go to bat for the underdog. They're willing to go and stand in the stead of and, and vouch for the underdog. Paul was an advocate. Remember? When he advocated for Onesiphorus? For Philemon? You remember that? For Onesimus? He said, hey, he, he didn't do you right the first time. But wait, he, he'll, 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 he'll make it right. He said, charge it to my account. You know what Paul was doing? He was being an advocate. He was going to the defense of. First John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. That's God's first desire. When you get saved, all right, now shed off those old, decaying, rotten death garments and do right and don't sin. But wait. And if any man sin. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, sometimes there's going to be days that you mess up. Sometimes there's going to be moments when you don't choose to do what's right. He said, and when those moments come, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. You know what happens when you advocate for someone? When you go to bat for someone? This is again a part of Jonathan's character. He's willing to take a risk because he knew the Lord was on his side. Watch, when you advocate for someone, you're acting like Jesus. When you go to bat for someone, when you go to their defense, when you run to defend them. Now, I'm not talking about defending wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about defending sin. I'm just talking about defending this person, saying, let's give them another chance. Let's give them another go at it. They've missed it the first time. They maybe missed it the second or the third time. But we believe that God can help them. Let's go to bat for them. You know, when you do that, you're acting just like the Lord Jesus. And that's pleasing to the Lord. You know what happens when you accuse people? And you've got an accusing tone, an accusing attitude, an accusing words. Do you know what you're acting like? The devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. And what did Jonathan do for David here? He went and pled for, for David. He said, he said, Father, please don't, don't think ill of him. He's done you good. He killed Goliath. He's trying to defend you. Don't, don't, don't treat David like this. And he was able to get David. You know what he was doing? He was reconciling. And God has given us as Christians the ministry of reconciliation. How do we do that? We advocate for those who perhaps haven't got it right the first time. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse number 6. It says, And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Look at 1 Samuel 20 quickly. 1 Samuel 20, we're learning some great things about this one, this one named David or Jonathan. 1 Samuel 20 in verse number 1, And David fled from Nioth and Ramah, and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father, that he seeketh my life? 1 Samuel 20 in verse number 2, And he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David swore over and said, Thy father knoweth certainly, certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved, but truly as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. Watch here, watch here. Why was Jonathan a soldier to be remembered? Here it is, because he was loyal. He was loyal. Now it seems to me, Brother Ray, 
that loyalty is almost a forgotten quality in these days. But you can't have anything good and wholesome and right and, and effective without loyalty. You can't have it. There must be loyalty in a husband-wife relationship. Uh, let me say that again in case some of you husbands weren't listening. There must be loyalty in a husband-wife relationship. Well, let me say that again in case some of you wives weren't listening. There must be loyalty in a husband-wife relationship. In other words, there are confidences kept between me and my wife that no one should ever be involved in. No one will ever be able to penetrate. No one will ever be able to know. Why? There are some things that I know about my wife and that my wife knows about me. Perhaps struggles or weaknesses or difficulties. There are confidence. Maybe things about the past. Maybe things that we've divulged to each other. That We're not talking about sinful and wicked things. We're just talking about struggles. And that ought to be a tightly held secret. There's loyalty between my wife and me. There ought to be between my wife and me a loyalty and faithfulness where she doesn't have to wonder about me. And I don't have to wonder about her. Why? Because of loyalty. Loyalty. There ought to be loyalty in a husband-wife relationship. There ought to be loyalty. I I was talking to a a friend of mine who was teaching a class on marriage. He said, you want to hear some marriage advice I'm giving to my young couples? I said, yes. I said, I'm all ears. He said, number one, don't speak evil of your wife or your spouse. I said, that's good. And I wrote that down. He said, number two, don't think evil uh, of, uh, don't don't, uh, speak evil about your spouse. Don't speak evil to your spouse. Don't speak evil about your spouse. I said, that's good. Let me write that down. He said, number three. I said, number three. He's already said, don't speak evil to and don't speak evil about. What could be number three? He said, don't think evil about your spouse. I said, well, that's good. You know what that comes from? The quality of loyalty. Loyalty. Because I'm loyal to my spouse, I don't want to think evil of her. And true love thinketh no evil. Uh, we have a word for, for loyalty. It's called faithfulness. There just ought to be a character quality about you. Do you see what happened there in 1 Samuel chapter 20? He said, Jonathan said, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. Whatever you want. I'm yours. By the way, there ought to be loyalty in a family. You ought to think highly of your parents. You ought to think highly of your children. You ought to have a loyalty towards your family where you say, I'm going to honor and love my family and I'm going to lift them up and they're going to take a priority in my life above my job and above my ministry is my family. Uh, There ought to be a loyalty in this church. You ought to love your pastor and love each other and you ought to think this, well, I'm sorry for everybody else in this town and all the other people that go to all these other churches because this is the best church in town. I mean, that just ought to be in your mindset. There ought to be a loyalty here. This is the best church. This is the place to be. There's no other place like this place. This is the place. You see, that's a loyalty. We ought to have a loyalty for our country. And do you see between two friends, Jonathan and David, there was a loyalty. He was a man of loyalty. Now I want you to notice what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 20, in verse 6, 5. And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. If thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. Remember that covenant that was taken in 1 Samuel chapter 18? He says, verse number 8, Notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself, for why 
why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from thee, for if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee, then would not I tell it thee? Then said David to Jonathan, Who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answered thee roughly? And they came up with a strategy that the, the uh, armor bearer would go and he would, he would go fetch an arrow that he shot. And, and it was to be shot at a certain place. So Jonathan goes before his father and his father Saul says, Where's David? And Jonathan says, well, David's gone down. He asked me permission to go down and sacrifice with his family down in Bethlehem. And Saul blew up in a rage. And Jonathan went to bat for David and tried to defend David. And he walked out grieved. And then he came into the field and he shot the arrow where he said he would. And if it was at a certain place and he told the armor bearer, the, the, the young man to fetch it in a certain way, it was evil was determined against David. And so this went on. And this was the last time David and Jonathan would meet as far as we know from the Scripture. The next time Jonathan would be heard of was at his death. And David would say about Jonathan that Jonathan was lovely and pleasant in his life. Why? Because he was loyal all the way to the end. Later, David would be loyal to Jonathan's son. Jonathan's son would be would be wounded and would be maimed Mephibosheth. He would be maimed from an accident and David would reach out to Mephibosheth and bring him back and let him sit under his table and show him the grace that is exemplified by the Lord to us. Do you see this? Oh, thank God for this soldier. He wasn't just any kind of a soldier and neither are the men that you're going to honor and the women that you're going to honor tomorrow. They're not just any kind of soldier. They should be considered what was their character and what were their accomplishments. And instead of grieving their death, we should thank God for their life. Turn back with me to 1 Samuel 14 and we're wrapping this up. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 14, I'm honing my attention now upon the risk that he took. Look at what the scripture says about Jonathan. He said in verse number 6, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Notice verse 7. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. And then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and will not go up unto them. But if they will say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us, and both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. In other words, they revealed themselves. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews came forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after them. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men. Within it, as it were, and a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was a trembling in the host in the field and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and behold, the multitude melted away and they went on beating down one another. Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, number now and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said unto 
unto Ahiah, bring hither the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. Now watch here. I want us just to consider about him taking a risk. And I want to challenge everybody here that knows Christ to take a risk in these days and to be like Jonathan. When you take a risk, watch this, you better have the Lord backing you. We're not talking about, I'm going to take a risk and uh, see if I can gamble my life away. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a risk. Some people think faith is stepping out on the limb and sawing it off for no good reason. No, 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 not a Bible risk. God's people believe God. And they, they exercise faith. And when they take a risk, they're not walking out on the edge of the limb and sawing it off. They have God leading them and God directing them. And Jonathan walked with God. He said, let's go expose ourselves and, and, and show ourselves to these Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. All right. Number two, when you take a risk, not only but you better have God on your side. But number two, when you take a risk, you better be willing to follow through. He said, all right, we're going to show ourselves to the Philistines. And they said, come up hither. Come, let us show you a thing. And Jonathan said to Zarmabar, here we go. This isn't the time to quit. This isn't the time to draw back. This isn't the time to give up. And let me say, when you got saved, you became part of a grand and glorious blood-washed throng and blood-washed band that lives by faith. We don't live by fear. We don't live by science. We live by what the Bible says and what God's word says. And that's our first marching order. And the scripture says here that Jonathan and, and his armor bearer went out after the, the, the Philistines and they followed through. When you take a risk by faith, you better sure, be sure the Lord is backing you. When you take a risk by faith, you better be sure to follow through. Watch this. When you take a risk by faith, you please God. <laughs> Do you see what happened? Look at it, verse number 15. It says, And there was a great trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earthquake, so it was a very great trembling. You said, preacher, how do you know it pleased the Lord? Because the Lord sent an earthquake to help them. The Lord fought for them. Can you think of anybody else that experienced an earthquake in the Bible? Paul and Silas, the two preachers that were cast in prison for preaching. They decided to keep their church open when the government said don't. And so uh, they were cast in jail. And when they were cast in jail and they were beaten and thrown into the cell that you would normally keep terrorists because everybody knows these preachers are the greatest threat, they started to sing and praise God. (laughs) They weren't moaning and griping and complaining. They were praising God. That's what happens when a Christian is beaten. A Christian that's walking with God, they're going to keep praising God. And what did the Lord do? He liked it so much, he just reached down and he grabbed the earth around it and shook it. (laughs) That's what the Lord's doing here. Why is he helping Jonathan? Because Jonathan was willing to take a risk by faith. When you take a risk by faith, you better be sure the Lord is backing you. When you take a risk by faith, you better be sure to follow through. Don't quit once God puts you on that track. When you take a risk by faith, you please God. Without faith, it's impossible It's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Note, watch this. When you take a risk by faith, hear it, you influence others. Now let me just pause and say, you may be here under my preaching right now or listening to this message by way of live stream or some other means and you have never been saved. Well, my friend, the way to be saved is faith. 
That is, you choose to believe God and to believe His Word and take Him at His Word that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Not Jesus plus Mary or Jesus plus the Pope or Jesus plus this church or any church, but you say, Jesus, you're the one that died. You paid my price in full. Neither I nor anyone else or anything else can add to or take away from that price. Jesus, I'm believing in you and you alone. And when you do that, Jesus saves you. That faith, that step of faith pleases God and gets you into the blood-washed throng. The heaven-bound crowd. The the ones that have escaped hell. He said, preacher, are you going to go to hell when you die? No. I'm not even going to smell the smoke. You can't hardly go into a gas station without sometimes coming out smelling like smoke. I'm not even going to smell the smoke. Why? Because Jesus has washed my sin away. Because I've accepted His gift of eternal life. And if you're listening right now and you have never by faith accepted His gift of eternal life, God Almighty brought you to me and us to cross paths today so that you can hear the word that Jesus alone can save you and believe on Him. He wants you to receive Him today. And you'd be foolish not to. But watch, when you take a risk by faith, you influence others. You know what happens when you believe? And trust the Lord. Someone else sees your faith and they trust the Lord. Just like in Sunday school, I shared with you that a Catholic man was saved last year in Ohio in our tent meeting. And just a couple weeks ago, he brought a Catholic young lady and she got saved in the tent. And the other day he was standing and talking to Pastor Warnick. And Pastor Warnick said, he said, Pastor Warnick, think about this. This all happened because we were standing together next to each other at a protest. And the gospel works. Watch this. When you take a risk by faith, you influence others. Oh, don't you want to influence others towards heaven? Don't you want to influence others away from hell? Don't you want to influence others toward a life that is a life of victory and service for Jesus Christ? I do. Watch, when you take a risk by faith, look what happens. You influence others. Verse 19, and it came to pass while Saul talked unto the priest that the noise that was in the host of the Philistine went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, withdraw thine hand. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow. And there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they'd heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. Hey, watch this. Watch this. I'm not just praying that people get saved. I'm praying that people get saved and baptized and sold out to Jesus. A few years ago, you may remember that I was in Italy. My family was there in 2015. And, uh, and, uh, I was in Italy and was, uh, we weren't there for more than 24 hours and all of our stuff was stolen. All of it. Except maybe a bag and a half. That means all the stuff we brought to wear, all the bags of, of gifts we brought to give to the missionaries, all, all, it was gone. We were in the Sistine Chapel and we were visiting in the Sistine Chapel. Uh, I had a chance to witness to the priest in the Sistine Chapel. And the, the devil said he decided to send a care package to us while we were in the Sistine Chapel giving the gospel out. So we're just standing there at the broken window, looking at the broken window of the van, and we're wondering what's going on. Well, in the stuff that was stolen, I had my old Bible that I'd preached from for years. That was a heartbreak that I lost it. I had a new Bible that was just like it that I was about to transfer my notes and I was going to use to preach from. 
And I had a bag of all my sermons that I'd preached from for, for 15 years. Gone, gone. I said, oh, man. And then I had a story in there about a boy who was taken in by a band of thieves. And he was uh, raised by this band of thieves in Russia in the late, 19, late 1800s, early 1900s. And later in his life, he stole from somebody and killed him. And what he stole... Amongst it was a Bible and he read it and got saved and he left the being a thief and he became a preacher of the gospel. So watch this. Don't just aim for a little bit, aim for a lot. This is what I started praying that somehow those thieves that stole our stuff would learn English and read the Bibles and read this story and get saved and become Baptist preachers and start churches all over Rome and become a fit to the Pope. That's what I started praying. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want my life to just end with my life. I want, when I say, get, when I die, I want the devil to come in and look at my casket and stare down in my faith, face and check my pulse and make sure I'm really dead and walk out of that funeral home or church and wipe his brow and say, am I glad that's over? And then get punched in the face by one of my converts. You see? I want to, I want to see a life that matters long after I'm gone. How do you do that? By faith. By faith. When you take a risk by faith, like Jonathan, you, 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 you just understand you better have the Lord back in you. You better follow through and not quit. When you take a risk by faith, you, you, you better, uh, you better know that, that it pleases God. When you take a risk by faith, it influences others. And when you take a risk by faith, you win. Look at what the Bible says, verse number 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Bethaven. Ah, I want to win. How are you going to win? By faith. Hey, this is not a time to draw back in fear. This is not a time to make cowardice our mode of operation. This is not a time when we should witness less or serve the Lord less or worship Jesus less or love our Savior less. No, no. This is a time to move forward in faith. And you can either sit down with, with Saul and the 600 men under the shade of the pomegranate tree, or you can take a risk by faith. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heads bowed and eyes closed. You've attended to God's Word so well today. Thank you for this. Thank you for your patient attentiveness. I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed if you'd say, Preacher, I'm saved and on my way to heaven, but there's been something that has been said either in Sunday school or in the morning service about the life of Jonathan or about my need to step out in faith that has pricked my heart. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But there's some way that remembering Jonathan as a godly soldier and a good soldier has challenged me and I want to let the Lord mold me and transform me to be like Him. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Praise the Lord. Good. Good. Praise God for this. Good. Who else? Just slip your hand up, put it right back down. Preacher, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But there's some area about Jonathan's life that has challenged me to live by faith and honor Christ. Anybody else? Good. Praise God. Thank you. Good. Question number two. How many of you would say, Brother Dwight... I'm not perfect, but I know I'm saved. I'm not hoping to get to heaven. I'm not trying to get there. 
I know I'm going because there's been a time in my life when by faith I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Now, if you don't know that, it won't help you or me to raise your hand. But if you're sure of that, and you know that there's been a time when you've trusted Christ and accepted His gift of salvation, would you just slip your hand up as a testimony to that fact? Preacher, I know I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. All right, thank you. May put your hands down. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not done that. There's not been a time or place when you can say, this is when I was spiritually born. This is when I was born again. And you'd say, preacher, I'd like to get that settled. Would you pray for me that I would get that settled? Yes, I will. I won't embarrass you or single you out. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone here like that? Just slip up your hand. Let me see it. In a moment, I'll remember you in prayer. Anyone at all? Preacher, pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved, but I need to know and I would like to know today. Anyone at all? Just slip up your hand. Put it right back down. All right, let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. God's touched hearts this morning. He's touched your heart. In a moment, I'm going to ask the pianist just to begin playing a few verses of invitation song. And when she plays, that's our time. That's our signal to respond to the Lord. You don't need to wait till then, but this is our chance. Maybe you need to make an altar right where you sit and just talk to the Lord. Maybe you want to come down forward and kneel and do business with the Lord. Maybe you want to even do something further and get alone with the Lord this afternoon for about 30 minutes or, or so and just talk to Jesus and tell Him what you've, what you, you've learned and how He's helped you today and, and refresh your commitment to follow Him. Father, work now, I pray, in this brief invitation in Jesus' name. As the pianist plays, would you respond to the Lord?